0: This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org/ccnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning everybody. These mountains and rivers of the present are the actual actualization of the words of the ancient Buddhas. Abiding in their own Dharma state, they completely fill their virtues. Because mountains and waters and rivers have been active since before the empty eon, they are alive at this moment. Because they have been the self since before form arose. They are emancipation realization. So, this is a quote from the Mountains of Riba Sutra, which is the theme of this Ango. And what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is introduce Ango. To a certain extent, I'm going to echo Shugan Roshi's words, um, which he offered last week in the opening of the Ango at the monastery with some differences, because this is a different place and a different time. Um, I think a good place to start is what is Ango? Um, Ango, in a sense, is a vast ocean gathering. Where the ocean? The Sangha. And it's a gathering of the Sangha. And um, hopefully by next week we'll have up on the board in the back a list of all the names that you've just heard read, of all the people who've committed to ANGO, who've uh, discerned what the suggested requirements are and made a commitment to participate. There'll also be an ANGO board, which points at the, in in a more intuitive sense of what ANGO is, a less intellectual sense. I'm not going to say anything more about that. But if you get a chance, look at that board when it goes up next week. The tradition of Ango goes back to the time of the Buddha. Uh, The the practitioners, the monastics at that time, would gather during the time of the rainy season and work with the senior teachers, work with the seniors, work with the Buddha uh, during a a three-month monsoon season. And they do it twice a year. And we do that. Uh, without the monsoon, but we have our own challenges. Um, and so for the three months, uh, the, there's a more intensive style of practice. Uh, we commit to sitting more uh, at home, here. Um, there's uh, more teachings offered are around a particular theme, which you already know is the Mountains and Rivers Sutra. Um, the Sashins are more intensive, uh, and and so there's a kind of a, a tightening down, a concentration on practice and realization using the mountains and rivers, in this case, as a theme. And Ango tradition has continued. The word Ango means peaceful dwelling. And it's worth considering and contemplating this term of peaceful dwelling, what does it mean to dwell peacefully? What does it mean to live a life of dwelling peacefully? How do, we, how do we create a peaceful dwelling, not just in the temple or in the monastery, not just in our homes, but within our minds, so that it affects us and we affect it with awareness and concentration no matter where we are. And this is not a completion of a task. It's an aspiration and a practice. And that's important to realize. And it's important, actually, to realize whenever you tell yourself you're not doing good enough, that uh, which is a tendency of a lot of us, is, t- is to understand that when we talk about practice, we're talking about aspiration and doing our best within that, not accomplishment. There's nothing to accomplish. It's the secret of Zen. <laughs> But what that means is what we have to understand. And what that means is that it's all been accomplished, that you're whole and complete as it is. I mean, that's one way to intellectually understand that. But to realize it for yourself is what ango is about. So Shugan Roshi spoke in these terms about ango. It's about coming closer. It's to engage in all the ways we can as being into and part of and entwined with this Ango. And as our, ango, as our contact with Ango comes closer, Ango comes closer. We and it become one. To the best, again, that's our aspiration. That's what we do. I remember when I um, started practicing the Mountains and Rivers Order, I'd practiced for many years in a different lineage that didn't have ango it was just one level way of practicing the whole year and um particularly when i entered the monastery and it's an exhausting challenging schedule if you're not used to it maybe even if you are uh and um i entered and then ango began and i became very angry (laughs) i was really resentful uh I'm already sleep-deprived, and now I have to, and on and on and on and on. Um, but at a certain point, I realized, and, you know, I related it to um, my, my residency that I took in medicine, where I was working 100 hours a week, and bitterly complaining during that whole time. And when I was done, I realized there was no other way to produce someone with the skills and the judgment that I had. And it wasn't about me. It's the training, stupid. You know, that's what I, I'm, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to myself in that. It's, this is about the training. We can all practice. That's yours. But the training that we agree to enter as go, that we make a commitment for, is something very different. We're giving permission. We are giving our permission to receive the training and to enter the training and to give back our best effort in that it always goes both ways. And in giving that permission, something can happen that can't happen without that permission. That's that's why the process of becoming a student is a discernment of whether we're willing to give that permission or not. But ANGO is open to everybody. You don't have to be a student. It's not at all necessary. Um, So... The closer to the reality of our being, the closer to this life we're leading, the closer we are to the teachings and to the Dharma, the more alive we become. And it requires discernment. It's challenging, because life is challenging. And suffering is pervasive and challenging. And in my own subtle way, I ask, what are you going to do about it? You know, if this is the way it is, what are you going to do about it? And so, one answer is Ango. And Ango invites us to turn inward with Sazen, with Sashin, with study, uh, and also to turn outward, and with careful and due thoughtfulness, to act in a manner outside the temple, outside the monastery, that upholds our practice and our intent, and... Invite the compassion that is in each one of us to flow outward and to flow back as we embody Ango, as we embody our true self, as we embody loving kindness, as we embody the cultivation of wisdom and compassion. And so that's what Ango is. It's an intensification of this. And there are other times that's not so intensive and that we pull back. Not that we relax, but don't have that, quite that quality to it. This is the 40th year that the monastery has been on Tremper Mountain. 40th year. Uh, Tremper Mountain is called Tenkozan. Heavenly Light Mountain. And if you've ever been there, many of you, if not most of you have, it's a double mountain. And I lived at the base of that mountain, literally in the field at the base of that mountain for a number of years, and I never grew tired of just immersing myself there. There was uh, in the A-frame I lived in with with Aho, my wife. There was a deck outside, and I would just sit sazen in that deck, and you know, keep your eyes down, forget it. <laughs> you know, I would do sazen with my eyes on that mountain, and. Just as an irrelevant but relevant story, one day I was sitting there and a, um, uh, is it a lynx? What's related to a lynx? Oh, a bobcat. bobcat walked by. And I already know this from other experiences in my life. You don't get to do that. You don't get to experience this unless you're very, very, very quiet. Just walk by. You know, five or six feet from me. Never knew I was there. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, but this is the experience when, when we can turn inward and be quiet. And it's the experience with the mountain. That bobcat is the mountain. It embodies the mountain. Um, so, I, you know, I was thinking of how to present this because we don't have a mountain right outside us, do we? Um, and you know it's important to realize that a theme is a theme that we look at a theme and relate to that particular theme, which is mountains and rivers, and the sutra of Dogen. Um, and so we have sidewalks and beeping horns and fire and fire drills and uh, viruses and etc. Right outside our door. Um, And, you know, in one sense, that's the mountains and rivers. But here we're concentrating on mountains and rivers. Chugin, in his talk last week, spoke of when he was in the city, how he would look for mountains and rivers. And it's here. And something happens when you're in an environment of some or more wildness that cannot happen walking down the street on the sidewalk. Something can happen there too, but it's different. And, you know, I could talk a long time about that, but I don't think I have to. I think we all, or certainly most of us who have been exposed to that environment, and it's possible to go through your whole life and not be exposed to that environment, realize that there's something deeply spiritual, what I call magical, radiant, luminous, about being in the mountains. Uh, again, it's personal, but when I was a child, um, I, I did not have a happy childhood. I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, and the only time I was happy, when I was in sleepaway camp. And my parents, at the age of six, sent me to for eight weeks at sleepaway camp. <laughs> um, I was by far the youngest kid there, and I'm amazed they took me. Uh, and I studied the mountains, and I was happy, and I um, there were a lot of activities which I would ignore and just go into the woods. And I, I knew even at a young age, adults had no power at me over me. I could do whatever I wanted. There might be consequences, but who gives up? You know, and um, and so I spent as much time as I could, uh, literally in the woods in the mountains. Um, and I'm telling a story here, but it's I think worth talking about um, when I visited uh, the monastery and I looked at the mountains. I said, I know these mountains. I mean, I know these particular mountains and I don't know how I know them, but they're in me. Um, and later I asked my older sister that. She says, yeah, you're, you're about uh, a few miles down the road from where you used to go to camp. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> You know, Dido has a story, a similar story to this, of um, before he encountered Zen, being in those very mountains with the monasteries, and then later coming back and finding the, the monastery and um, committing to that, uh, when he had no business and certainly no money doing that. And here we are. Here we are. So... This is our 40th year. Uh, We do this twice a year, every year. Um, Daido Roshi really, and I heard him speak of this so many times, wanted to establish something that would stand the test of time. And he talked about training and the fundamental aspects of training that had to be there. Um, The Zazen for sure, the Sashun for sure. You know, we hold a Sashun every month. There aren't many places within, even within the Zen world that hold it every single month. And I believe we've done that since the beginning or close to that since since 1982. And so that foundation has to be strong enough to have the basis of practice and the opportunity to realize herself, and also flexible enough to change over time to meet the needs of all of us who practice. Traditionally, this practice was aimed at monastic practitioners, heavily at monastic practitioners. There was always a sprinkle of lay practitioners, um, but not much. And here, everyone in this room, with one exception, is a lay practitioner. The monastery, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's probably 99% of the practitioners who come there are lay practitioners. So, You know, it's a real question of how do we, how do we practice in a way, how do we keep a strong foundation based on practice and realization in a way that you and I, as lay people, can practice and hold that for others as well. It's not a casual question. Um, when Daito Roshi established the training, he had a a lot of questions to, Uh, address Um, what would the training look like actually what would it be and what does it mean to become a formal student is there a difference between someone who's made that commitment and someone who's not but practices and it's a formal commitment what does it mean to be a member of the mountains and rivers order What's the difference between a seeker of the Dharma and becoming a student? Is there a difference? How does a student enter? How does the mind become prepared to be a student? How do we prepare ourselves as students to take up the profundity of taking up the precepts as the centerpiece of our life? What is a monastic? What is a layperson? What's the difference? Is there a difference? What is a senior student, a shuso, A chief disciple? What is a teacher? So these are just some of the questions that he had to deal with and we are still dealing with. But we have to establish a groundwork for it. So the practice is always evolving. And that's challenging. And it asks us to be flexible and to be open to change. So these mountains and rivers of the present are an actualization of the words of the ancient Buddhists. They're a living sutra. They're actually alive. I used, when I was on my deck and I'd look at the mountain, I would look at the trees blowing in the wind, which could be very slight, or could be... And in either case, I can't describe it. I could talk about it, but the actual essence of what the trees and I were experiencing together. I can't speak of. And yet something unmistakable was happening. Uh, Roshi talked about how the mountains and rivers are a living sutra. And if, you, in case you don't know it, the, the monastery is in front of this double mountain and also the confluence of two rivers. And the root of tree, I guess it's Sanskrit, and dharma is the same. And a Zen Sangha is called, the word is Sorin, a Zen forest, literally a Zen forest. There's also an analogy of looking at the Zendo, which I just did during the session, And looking out at everybody sitting, the analogy is of tree trunks. Sitting just like individual and collective tree trunks as a forest. And it is. It's real. It's alive. Everybody is slightly moving within their stillness. Abiding in their own dharma state, they completely fill their virtues. Each tree... It's easy to see. You look and each tree fulfills its virtue it as perfect and complete just as it is, as whole. And you know, we're learning more and more about trees and their interconnectivity, which we've missed for thousands of years. Well, we've missed it. Some people haven't, some societies haven't, but certainly we have. You probably know that from Maine and perhaps further till I don't know if it's Florida or close to it. Originally, there was one forest, one interconnected forest. And with very, very few exceptions, of very few, every single tree of those millions and millions of trees was cut down. From my perspective, killed, murdered. Abiding in their own dharma state, they completely fill the, fulfill their virtues. You, too, are completely fulfilling your virtue. You, too, are practicing to completely fulfill your virtue. So, again, don't judge it. Just take it in. Make it yours. And this virtue is the teachings of the Dharma themselves, the teachings of the mountains and rivers. Don Chant said, these mountains and rivers radiate ceaselessly, endlessly expounding the Dharma. We do that too. We may or may not know it, but we do that too. And this has profound implications. Your inherent Buddha nature coming alive through the practices that we do. influences and impacts every single being, human and not, that we come in contact with. It sounds like a vast responsibility, but it's a given, whether you practice or not. You do. And so the question really is, how will you do this? Shugan quoted David Loy, whose book was was studying a quote from it, that you cannot cut a deal with Mother Nature. You can't manipulate Mother Nature. And he went on to say you cannot cut a deal with delusion. You can't make a deal with reality. Reality stands as it is. When you yourself are that reality, there is no confusion. There is no problem. Delusion is just a rejection of things as they are. Well, how are things when we're a bit quiet, just as we are? How are things when we're not moving so vigorously that we are confused by our own actions? How are things at that moment? Don't describe it. Just be it. Dogen said, in every moment, and this is from the Mountains and Rivers Sutra, what we see is both possible and limited due to the extent of our penetrating vision. There's a similar quote in the Genjo Kohan by Dogen as well. In every moment, what we see is both possible and limited due to the extent of our penetrated vision. What's the limitations? It's ourself. Again. Limitations inherently are suffering. There are no limitations within your the completeness and the wholeness of your life. You can act in a way which is responsive and whole. So, another quote from Dogen in this fascicle. It's a little longer, but it's a key one. What different types of beings see is different. We should reflect on this. Is that there are various ways of seeing a single object or that we have mistaken a variety of images for a single object? We should examine this question in detail and concentrate every effort on understanding it and then concentrate even more. Given this multitude of perspectives, it follows that the training on the way of practice and verification cannot be one or two kinds, and that the realm of ultimate reality must also have a thousand types and a thousand kinds. I hope you're able to follow that, and if not, you'll have plenty of opportunity to study that. In studying the Dharma, this is crucial. There are endless ways to see things just as they are. They're all just as they are, and yet there are endless perspectives. Both sides are there. You and I base everything on what we perceive, and we take that as the ultimate truth. So if you look at a tree or a mountain or a person from one perspective then you're killing that tree or that person or yourself because that is not the truth. So Dogen says, we should examine that in detail. Concentrate every effort on understanding it. And then concentrate even more. So concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. When you're done doing that, do it some more. That sounds very familiar because the mountains and rivers that we study are self. They're no different. He's talking in one sense about Zazen, but also he's talking about the power and the actions that we take based on how our mind is and the implications of that when we only have one view, one use for something. And that's it. I was just in New Zealand for a month and um, New Zealand is covered in Douglas fir. Among other trees. Douglas fir is not a native tree, um, but it grows amazingly well there. It's a perfect environment for it. And so you drive down a road and you see a naked mountain and it hurts. It really hurts. Now I understand the commercial value of this, and, you know, there's plenty of wood in this room and so on and so forth, but it still hurts. I can't tell you how it hurts. It just, It hurts. And it's all over. It's not a little. So there are many beings and many ways of seeing each being. But we have, as human beings, uniqueness to us. We have incredible power to destroy, to create, to awaken, and to be caught deeply in delusion. So freeing ourselves from this delusion, we can see and treat all creatures with the wholeness, with the dignity, with the service that they deserve. Uh, upstairs in the Bolden board are the ten values which have recently come out of the different affiliate groups and the work that's being done. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And um, it's hard to bring in all the values in every talk, or even any of them. And a lot of people don't know what's being referred to. But I would ask you to to look at those values. They remind me very much of the paramitas. That they, they ask that we respect and honor all beings in various different ways. So I talked about the 40 years here. And a lot of things have changed in 40 years. And what's on our plate right now, climate emergency, the different racial and gender tensions, as Dogen, as uh, Shugan calls it, a wall of madness being constructed. different perspectives on nationalism, a country divided by politics, many other things. We have an obligation as a sangha, as an order, to open wide our doors for anyone who wants to come in and to make it possible for those who do not look exactly like me or you to come in. We have an obligation to do that. It's implicit in this practice. Among our differences, we are all the same. Among our sameness, as our sameness, is our individual differences. These are not two different statements. This has to be respected, this has to be honored. And what does this mean? it's not theoretical we need to turn our attention to this as a sangha we need to honor it and these are not just words so yes we will continue to do those things which are at the base of the practice of shin and zazen and liturgy and ango but we also need to attend to where we have not necessarily attended before. And that's important. So in this sangha, we're attending specifically to the mountains and rivers. And we'll be studying that in a number of ways. One of the ways, and this email just went out yesterday, um, is in a series of gatherings that Chugan Sensei will introduce each time. And then we'll explore Echo Dharma, which is a book by David Loy. So, yes, please do that. And it's going to be online, so wherever you are, it can be done. Um, And it's listed, the dates, and you can sign up. Um, And then they'll break up into groups and look at it. From a Sangha perspective, look at the various issues so that we become familiar with them. They become us, we become it. That's how change happens. I, I talked before about my anger and resentment in the early days of encountering Ango. I didn't talk very much about, I think I mentioned it, how transformative it was for me as I did Ango after Ango. That's really where something happened that took me out of my comfort zone, way beyond my comfort zone. And being surrounded by sangha that inspired me, that supported me, that invited me, that... uh, And I've spoken many times of interacting with Hojin Sensei and Jiman in the creative process, Jiman is Shuguroshi's partner. Uh, And me without any training in creativity in expressing that, and them encouraging me. And of course, you don't need training. It's there, it's in every one of us. But how do you make the first mark on a pencil and a piece of paper? You know, some instruction is helpful. The instruction that I remember <laughs> Jim giving me when A and I wanted to do movement as a presentation, as was very clear. She said, Uh, Find your music that you relate to. um, And then whatever you think you should do, do the opposite. (laughs) Boy, did that scare the shit out of me. (laughs) But it, you know, I don't want to dismiss it lightly by saying it taught me something. It profoundly showed me something about myself. And uh, full of doubts no confidence, no basis for confidence. And yet something happened. Something always happened. Every time I entered the the creative process without fail. And in each of the other aspects of Ango. So I'm kind of jumping around here, but I want to touch, I hope, all the bases. So... As part of the 40th anniversary and kind of an extension uh, of the sangho, uh we'll be having an all-Sangha meeting. And I want to mention that because I hope you come, that the Sangha, the Temple Sangha is well-represented. And we have them about every five years. And pretty fundamental changes come out of that. Um, there are many, many suggestions. Some of them are, okay, that's interesting. But... You get the voice of the Sangha, and you get what's important. And over the years, um, almost all of the changes that you see, and some of them are going on right now, um, have come out of that. So you may or may not be aware, for example, the mortgage for this place is paid off. just happened a few weeks ago. That is a big deal. That is a big deal for us. The mortgage monthly payment was large, significantly large. And although we don't have a cent more yet, we will start with time. And to use that, that came out of, you know, why don't you have no debt here? You know, so maybe we can afford to fix that. (laughs) To make it very intimate. And there it is. Uh, um, one of the things I want to speak to, two, two things I want to speak to in terms of changes, is um, a reevaluation of hierarchy and power. You know, Daito Roshi, both by personality, intent, and need, needed to run the show. And he did. And he had the vision, and he needed to supply the vision, because none of us in 1982 had that vision, and for few years afterwards. And he was a genius at it, a remarkable genius at it. And he's why we're here today. And times change. And the hierarchy, which was slanted in very specific directions that I don't have to mention to anyone in this room, because we all directly experience it, no matter who we are, It's being reworked, and questions anew are being asked. Who becomes a student? What's the availability of being a student? Who's on the board of directors? How is that chosen? Who becomes a senior? Why are they chosen as a senior position of power? What's the relationship of power to the teachers and to the sangha? These are real questions, again, that have, in some cases, distinct answers and, in some cases, are being examined. But it's happening. It's happening. I've already mentioned the need to look at the environment, this catastrophe that's happening right before our eyes, and will happen. I mean, it's going to, in some way, because it is happening what that means, the uh, groups that we've established that investigate gender and race and beyond fear, what fear is of difference, what is whiteness, what does it mean to be a person of color, what does it mean to be different than other people around you? And we're looking at this from a personal and organizational perspective. And ultimately, they're not different. We can't change society as a whole in some magical way, but we can start here. And it's both messy because there's no cookbook for this. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful because the Sangha 40 years down the road has functional wisdom as functional experience and practice. And it's time to these shifts. It's time to open up the doors. It's time to examine what power is and where it is and whose voices are heard or not heard. So I'm mentioning these things because they're an important part of the Sango A lot of it seems to be happening beneath the surface, but it is happening. And everyone in this room is invited to participate in that. I'm not going to get into the specifics. They're available to you. And to participate according to your what interests you, what you want, and what makes sense for you. And what's appropriate. Part of the sango is um, that we do is art practice. And um, Hojin Sensei will be saying more about this. And on the Ango website is um, a specific instruction on it. I urge you to do that. That was the part I always had the most the creative process, the most resistance to, and therefore learned the most from. It's really that simple. (laughs) Um, A couple of things I want to say. Dogen said, the mountains belong to those who love them. the Fuller Statement in general, although they say that the mountains belong to the nation, mountains belong to the people who love them. When the mountains necessarily love their master, sages and wise ones, those of great virtue enter the mountains. And these mountains are all-inclusive com- compassion. And he goes on, this is a challenging sutra, and I'm not going to, Unpack it here. This isn't the time. But among the things that are happening is these video that I mentioned, these video conferences. Um, and that's an opportunity for you to participate. And it's, I mentioned that again because there's a possibility of a very strong crisis coming. It's a possibility we may close or the monastery may close or the city may shut down. We don't know. But we should be aware. I'm sure we are. It's impossible not to be unless you're virtue of a hermit in terms of communication. Um, and it's also obvious it's not being well handled by people in power. And that's an understatement. Uh, talk about different views. of the, Is it an object with different views or different views of different objects? It's... Incredible, right before our eyes. Um, but let me, let me just run down the list of what's scheduled as it is at this moment. Um, so I mentioned, and you can, can, and I'm encouraging us to sign up for the uh, series of video conferences that you will run, you will participate in. Um, There's a Zenkai each month here. We just had a Ango an opening session, which we have at the start of every Ango. Uh, this is for Self-Identified Women with Hojin Sensei later in March, called the Mother of All Buddhas. There's Fusatsus each month, which are really important. I try and do one on a Sunday so that people who can't come on Thursday night have the opportunity to to enter that. We have half-day sits. We have one dharma, which is an exploration of two apparently different things. Done. That exploration is done initially through Zazen and then through Mondo, which I'll be leading. There's an evening of poems from the first Buddhist women with Hojin in April. There's art practice retreat in April. There's a uh, introduction to uh, Kanji with Kondo Johnson, who's a student and a professor. There's uh, what is most important, tending to the way-seeking mind with Gokan, Monaster Gokan. There's a body retreat, The Shape of a Wake by Hope Martin, who I've studied with on uh, using the Alexander Method. And it's... <laughs> it's pretty profound what happens. Uh, I've studied a lot of Alexander and Feldenkrais because I have to. My body doesn't work otherwise. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I want to also mention um, that I'm scheduled to be here next week. Um having to cancel. Um, and I'm having to do that because I have to judge carefully. I debated a long time internally how much to say about this, but I think it's real. Um, Most of you know Aho, and you may have some inkling that her health is not very good. Um, And she is the perfect candidate for who dies as a result of this virus. And her life experience has been when she's gotten sick from previous viruses, swine flu, it's uh, devastated her uh, long term. Um, So I uh, made the decision to come here this week to lead the session to be here today, uh, knowing that there was a risk, but not a high risk. But I'm not comfortable with staying another week because, you know, in medicine you weigh things. And one of the ways you weigh them is the chance of something happening and the severity of something happening. And in this particular case, the chance of something happening is not high. But if it does, the severity is extreme. So I'm going to leave today. Um, One of the implications is that the retreat next week with Greg Creech, which I've been pushing because I've worked with Greg for maybe three decades on... Uh, cultivating compassion and um, uh, understanding the psychology, the, the Buddhist psychology of the self in a functional way, non analytical way. And although I'm talking very, very general terms, you've heard it in all my talks. I talk about feelings, I talk about uh, purpose, uh, I talk about intent. Um, Talk about acceptance of feelings, um, and he talk about actions and how I'm aligning our actions with our purpose rather than immediately with our feelings. That's one side. There's another side which has to do with compassion. Um, so these are practices that he has mastered and uh, shared. Um, he's in a somewhat similar situation. To me, and we've been in contact, and um, we decided to cancel that, and in its place to offer a, a webinar next Saturday, one hour, um, at no charge, open to everybody. So there's, is the poster up? Yes, thank you. Um, with some scrambling, we've got a new poster up. It's, uh, I love it because there's a picture of the virus on it. <laughs> <laughs> And we had to determine just how scary do we want to make this? <laughs> uh, so we picked a more arty one. Uh, if it had been up to me, you know what would have been up there. Um, but in any case, uh, you know, it's a, it's a look at how to work with this in terms of practice. And Greg and I will be sharing this uh, and doing this, mostly Greg. Um, so, and he will lead a retreat here. I've been talking about this for a long time, so a lot of people have signed up for it. Um, You will literally lead a a, a retreat when we know more about what's reasonable and safe. So I guess that's about it. Uh, I'm leaving anything out, but nothing that strikes you. Okay. Uh, I always leave something out. Um, I want to invite you to um, have lunch with us uh if you're sick don't (laughs) but we're doing every reasonable precaution that we can we wipe the place down every day we ask that you wash your hands we are using disposable things um and um so far so good but we also know the other side of that that needs to be treated with respect um So um, nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows how this ongoing is going to go in this regard. Um, But you can be sure that uh, a lot of time and energy uh, has been spent looking at this from an organizational perspective as to what makes sense and how to support everybody's practice uh, during this time. And especially if it gets bad, uh, one would assume the web works And we will encourage and support the sangha under all circumstances. And that's our vow. That's the vow of the monastics, and that's the vow of the lay people. So let's vow together. Thanks for listening. Do you have physical challenges to visiting Zen Mountain Monastery or Fire Lotus Temple? The Diamond Net is a group of Mountains and Rivers Order students who are available to support your practice. We provide Dharma and other support to Sangha members facing life challenges such as illness or mobility issues. If you would like to visit the monastery or the Zen Center but need some physical help, someone from the Diamond Net can assist you. For information, email diamondnet at mro.org or visit our webpage at zmm.org and look under the Programs menu.